I have with me a guest today who uh, is a longtime law enforcement leader. He's a, a guy that I have admired for many years uh, because of his uh, his leadership policies and his willingness um, to speak out, to make changes, and uh, and to truly be an, a national leader in this profession. So uh, I thought that you needed to meet him today. So uh, Chief Kias, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Betsy. Great seeing you again. So, you know, we, you and I have had some conversations um, because we're both involved in, with an organization called uh, Citizens Behind the Badge. Yep. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's been almost three years now that uh, we as retired American law enforcement officers have lived and watched this vilification and demonization of the American law enforcement officer and of our profession. And it, you know, of course it's been incredibly frustrating. Now you now are in Nashville, Tennessee where we saw just a few weeks ago, um, what you and I know to be the daily heroics of the American law enforcement officer when Very we saw so. Nashville Metro police officers run towards the, sh the shots and stop an active shooter who was hell bent on murdering far more people than she was able to do. And, and that I know you like me, uh, you know, we're just so filled with pride and gratitude when that happened. But, but let's talk about the state of policing in America now in 2023. Yep. Well, I'd like to go back to a point you just made about us being retired. In today's environment, I don't think we can be retired. We, we have a great platform. We don't have all this baggage that comes with when you're active. The only thing that I don't have is I don't have a uh, carry a gun every day uh, in a police uniform. But I think people like us, Betsy, have a responsibility to, as I'll say this even later, you know, to stand up and speak out on these important issues. And your point about, you know, the state, where are we at in the state of policing? I think there is a very organized uh, strategic uh, plan to, the demonized police, we see it. We see it at the federal, state, and local level, uh, all the way up from, from the defending or defunding the police uh, to changing laws, local state laws that impact like qualified immunity. Now, that was big for a while. You see that at the federal level, state levels where you have state prosecutors that make it a point. They run on a platform. We're going to prosecute more police. You look in Austin, Texas. The I think they've indicted more police down there than they. They've indicted citizens, uh, bad guys. Uh, and then even at the local level, we're, we're seeing it just yesterday. I was very concerned about what I saw in Chicago, where you have a mayor who ran on the platform of anti-police, defund the police. You see it in New York. Uh, the, one of my major concerns is uh, the safety of police officers. I, as a former police chief, one of my primary responsibilities is to make sure everybody went home to their family every morning. And, you know, that, that was just my job as the police chief. And when you start seeing mayors and, and the government officials, you know, run on a platform that, hey, police safety is not an issue for us. And you saw up in New York where one of the first things that the, uh, the district attorney did was uh, downgrade uh, resisting arrest from a felony to a misdemeanor. What what message does that send? And then you know when you, when in Chicago when I saw that yesterday 
And then I looked it up over the weekend, 21 people were shot in Chicago, four of them killed. And if it wasn't for the, the great medicine that we have, uh, advances in medicine, probably there would have been a lot more people killed. And we know next weekend it's going to be the same thing. But this week, I saw a press conference last night and very, very proud to be talking about taking money from the police and moving it to other, uh, 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 other elements within city government. So, I, you know, when I, when I hear those things, it really, really concerns me, and especially about the, the safety of officers when we know that shortly after the George Floyd death, uh, in that one week, there was over 2,000 officers that were injured in the riots. Uh, and now it's uh, the number recently I heard was like 60,000 officers since that time have reported injuries. And not only, I'm not only concerned about the the physical injuries, Betsy, it's that mental, because we also see the number one killer of police officers are police officers. They're killing themselves. And we need to be very, very on top of that as police leaders and retired people like ourselves. We, we got to, every time I talk to a chief, I bring out my card, my suicide hotline card. Are you giving these out to every police officer? When you give them their gun and you give them their computer, just give them this card. And I always joke, I says, always tell them it's not for you, it's for a buddy, you know, because nobody ever wants to think that you're giving it because you think Betsy might have a problem. But let me tell you, I, I spent, I've been in this business 40 years. There's been a number of days I've had dark days, but I've had a good support system around me and a loving wife and children and all of those things. But there's some people that aren't that fortunate. So I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll let you cut it back in. But yeah, I, I think that the state of policing I'm, I think we have a great, great profession. We should all be so proud that we were given the privilege to wear a uniform. They may have all looked a little bit different, but I tell you what, at the end of the day, we're still all cops. And when I used to do an executive leadership program and I have some fancy titles, I've done some other stuff besides local law enforcement, I tell them, I'm just a local cop. That's what I wanted to be. That's what I, and at the end of the, when the curtain closed on Louis Kiosk, I'd like you to refer to me as Officer Kiosk. That's what that's what I was. Well, you know, and you you bring up a great uh, well, you bring up so many great points. But you know, one of the things I want to talk about because you do have this forty year uh, career, and w when you and I were young cops, um, people didn't know what our politics were. We didn't get involved in politics, and the profession was not politicized in the way that it is now, you know, there was always talk about, um, you know, if you were in a city, for example, you know, the city council had to approve your budget, things like no. that. There might be some talk about your police union. Um, but how did police work become such a political hot issue? Well, I think one of the things, Betsy, if you really look at it, the most visible uh, element within city government are the police. You go outside right now and you'll, you'll see car, you'll see sanitation. You'll, but you know what? They don't have the big sign on it that says, please, in Nashville, please, you know, uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, please, whatever, whatever city you're in, they promote it. And if you got good chiefs and sheriffs and about the, they're out and they're out talking at the Kiwanis Club. They're you're doing at the, the Boy Scout breakfast. I've, I've eaten so many Boy Scout pancakes and Kiwanis Club rubber chickens. I, you know, I, you know, but I loved it because the job of the, of the police chief was to be out there and promoting, promoting what the police officers do. But uh, I, I think that the point is, is that we are the most visible element within city government. Most people can tell you who the police chief is. 
They can't tell you, even though the utilities director is very, very important. They don't know who that person is. So when they lash out at uh, government, the first one to do is it's the police. When's the last time you've seen them overturn a sanitation truck? They don't do it. It's the police. It's the visuals, the optics. Uh, when you see that happen in New York or L.A. or Atlanta, where, I mean, it has a, a major impact. They turn over a garbage truck. Probably most people, they not that big a deal. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, you have done uh, you have done a lot of work on uh, not just crime prevention, but but crime reduction. And yeah. you know, it, we're we're now in a country that is really in a crime crisis. Um, yeah. Really, you know, we haven't had this much crime, especially violent crime, since the 1990s. Yeah. And uh, and you. Uh, you have spearheaded some initiatives when you were a chief to reduce crime. It, and it's not rocket science, right? Not, Tell not people at all. how we can reduce crime in our communities. Well, first of all, it's a people business. It's still a contact sport. We still go out and shake hands. We meet people. If it's on a car check. I, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine uh, that I grew up on the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department with. Probably one of the best homicide detectives that uh, uh, that I've ever known. And one of the he, he was asking me exactly that. You know, how, what did you do when you went? Because he followed the High Point Initiative when I was chief there. And I said, well, we went to a homicide. I told people in community meetings, if you have a, a violent incident in your community, we're going to be there. And we'd show up with our task force. We'd have the ATF and the FBI and the sheriffs. We use probation and parole because they can knock on doors at three o'clock in the morning and say, hey, we want to talk to Louis Kiosk. I couldn't do that. So the criminals now know, hey, don't commit crime in our area because they're going to bring this down. But when we knocked on doors, Betsy, you know what we asked the, the victim or, or, or let's say a, a neighbor? What most detectives would ask right off the bat, did you see anything? You know what we ask? Are you okay? Mm. Yeah. Because you're, you're important to us. There's bullets. Is everybody okay in your house? We're going to get back with you. You know, a detective's going to come back, but are you okay right now? And then we'd give them a little piece of it. You know, we've had a shooting three doors down, blah, 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 you know. And you'd be surprised, and I don't want to over-exaggerate. If we had 10 of those, probably six of them, Crime Stoppers would call us and say, you might want to check on the house on the left-hand side with the red cars at. Oh, so now, but you have to, you, you have, to have that commitment. Uh, uh, you got to have that credibility, yeah, what I tell in my executive leadership, you got to have credibility. You got to add value to the relationship, which equals trust. Credibility, value equals trust. Are you credible? Yeah. Do you mean what you say? When the chief says we're going to be there, are you there? Do you bring in your, we called it the cab vehicle, the community action vehicle. So if they knocked on the door at three o'clock in the morning, they could take a, a guy out of the house, walking right on the bus. What's going on? What are you doing? They're doing their thing. And, and, our, and our partners loved it. Our, our, our probation and parole, they wanted to get actively involved. They wanted to help us keep our community safe. So it's a multidisciplinary uh, uh, approach. One of the things I used to tell people, I'm just kind of the middle of the, of the wheel. There's all these other people that come in, the U.S. attorney, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, educational community, the medical community. Everybody plays a role. And what I saw for us doing, Betsy, from the very beginning, 
we had to educate people on their role in the public safety process. It just wasn't Dolly 911. It, well, I wasn't going to let them put it, that all on my plate. And as we did that, and we educated, it took us about a year to educate everybody. But when the High Point Initiative started, started, let me tell you, and it's still going to this day in High Point. And, and we had people from Chicago. We had all, I mean, and it really made our people feel good because people were coming to Kansas City. And that's where I got some uh, opportunities because Janet Reno at the time was the attorney general. She liked what we were doing. And the one thing we didn't do, we didn't go for any federal money because I knew if it was going to be successful, it had to, everybody in the community had to be a part of it. They had to be vested into the system. It couldn't be a $500,000 government grant that drove because guess what happens when the $500,000 stops? The initiative stops. But I'm proud to say that the High Point Initiative is still in place. It's they, the former or the chiefs that came after me have modified it somewhat, but the focus is still making High Point the safest city in North Carolina. And you know when you talk about that, the high point, um, the high point model is really what it is. Um, it really did involve the entire community, and I think that's something that is missing in a lot of areas of the country. You know, you look at like right now, San Francisco. People in San Francisco have all of a sudden realized their crime is out of control, yeah. and uh, um, and yet they just point to the police department and say, "Well, you need to fix this." Yeah. Um, and this really. Uh, when you talk about crime reduction, it's a team effort, isn't it? Yeah, it, it has to be. If it's going to be successful and people are going to buy into it and everybody plays a role. And I remember what, one of the highlights I have is I had to send one of our ministers because I was always getting calls. Hey, can you come up and explain it? I'll be DC at the cop's office. And I, I, I would send up a detective or I'd send up one of the local ministers and people would call back and say, you know, when this person presented, you would think they owned it. It was their creation. And I'm saying that's exactly how you want it. Because in their little world, the reverend and uh, the local uh, uh, Black Chamber of Commerce, if you will, they were actively involved in it. And I, one of the things for me personally, we brought people together, Betsy, that had never come in contact with each other. It was those people over there don't want to help us. And it was those people over there don't want help. But when we brought them together, they wanted the same thing. They wanted to be safe. They may not live in the mansions on this place and, you know, blah, blah, but they wanted to be safe. And, and that we had, we had a, a very successful public housing initiative where I would tell them just because you live in public housing doesn't mean you can't be safe. You deserve to be safe. Public housing should be one of the safest places in the city. And, well, and but, you know what? Yeah. And, that brings me to something that frustrates me incredibly, and I hear this in the media all the time, is that people commit crime because they're poor. And if people weren't poor, they wouldn't commit crime. And I, I find that very offensive um, as somebody who didn't grow up rich. Yeah. Um, just because you're poor, right? Just because you you live, you know, a yeah. lower lifestyle, if you will. Doesn't mean you're a criminal, right? Yeah, no. I, I, I remember talking to young kids in, in High Point, and I, I'd say, don't raise your hand, but I'm going to ask a few questions. How many of you come here from big families? I raised my hand. I said, I'm the oldest of 10. I said, how many in here ever had to buy your school, school clothes from the Salvation Army? Raise my hand. How many of you here ever had the police had to show up at your house at 2 o'clock in the morning because people were fighting? I grazed my hand. So I says, you're looking at me. I got what I call the love boat outfit on. I've got all the hat, you know, you know, the stuff. And yeah. I say, 
That's where I came from. I, my grandparents spoke no English. They were from Mexico. Uh, we were very, very poor. I ended every meal by asking one of my siblings, are you going to eat the rest of that? That was kind of my, as the oldest, I had the privilege of saying, you can eat the rest of that chicken. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. This is the greatest country in the world. And if you if you're you're focused and you you uh, uh, commit to you know staying out of trouble, you can you can make it in this country. And I, I think I'm a prime example. I went from being a police officer in Kansas City. I remember when I took the test. I, literally, I said, "Just let me become a Kansas City police officer. I'll never ask for anything ever again." And then I got that. You know, I'll make me a sergeant. I'll never ask for anything again. And when I gave a speech years later at the police academy, I'd say, you know, in this crowd could be an assistant director of the, at the FBI like I was. I had the privilege or assistant secretary at DHS like I had the privilege. Some Mexican kid from the west side of, of Kansas City. Uh, that, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good deal. Not the sharpest tool in the shed either. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, that you're right. It's, that's a very lame excuse. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and again, like you said, you and and so many others are are absolute proof that that's not the case. Yeah. And yet that's what we very often hear from political leaders, from the media and this and that. They also talk a lot about bail reform, that that um, making someone pay uh, a bail or a bond um, is somehow um, classist, racist. There's all, all the is. Um, how is quote unquote bail reform in places like New York and Illinois and LA, how is that damaging public safety? Well, I, I think that I, I wish I had the, the president of all those chambers of commerce sitting around me. They would tell you it's not working very well. You just look at the numbers every night. I, it is not just conservative TV. You can put on any of the channels. This is not a conservative or a liberal or independent issue. You've got people that are leaving those communities. It's like, uh, again, not everybody in, in California is a liberal or, or a conservative. So you have people that are saying, this is just getting so crazy. I, you know, they just had a, a you know, and in, in, in class used to be, well, you were protected from this if you were, you know, higher status in the community. They just had a CEO multimillionaire that was stabbed to death in San Francisco two, what, two or three days ago. So, I mean, it, it, so now it, as people realize, hey, this isn't something that just ha happens over there, it's happening here. And I'm hoping that the, the, the benefit, and I don't mean that in a positive way, but I, I hope uh, it opens eyes to say, hey, if it could happen to me, if it could happen to this guy who's a multimillionaire, it can definitely happen to me here in Nashville. And I better do something. And I've told people the next time you have a district attorney's uh, election, I would be there asking what their position is on the gun violence, what their position is on assaulting police officers. Uh, because it, here, here in my community, I ask, do we know who the district attorney is? I tell you what, I've learned. I, I've, you know, I, I find out exactly who they are now. And so I think there's going to be some benefits from this, Betsy. I think it's going to make people more uh, uh, aware and tuned, if you will. And they're going to be able to make better decisions because our, 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 especially on election day, because we're about putting that thing in the ballot box. 
and we need to get people out to vote. And that's why I tell you know all of the executive leaders that I know, you need to get out, you need to vote. You got to let people know that, hey, this is an important issue for you. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Chief, we just have a couple minutes left. What are we going to do to bring more good quality young people to this profession? Boy, yeah, I'm glad you because I have that on my notes here. What scares me about when we start talking about the impact of defunding the police, you've got all of these officers that are leaving. I don't I've not talked to a chief in the last month that has not had recruited. I always ask him, I said, have you ever had a, are, are you turning people away? Oh, yeah, they give me the. I said, but what we've started seeing happen, happen is that they're lowering the standards. And Betsy, you and I have been in this profession long enough. We know how that's going to end. We know how it's going to end. We have history. We know exactly how that's going to end. But and I'm thinking, am I the only one that remembers, you know, when we were doing this and we, we needed, you know, more of everything. We needed more women. We needed more Hispanics. We needed more. When, in fact, we have quality people out there, all colors, all races, all genders. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Chief, you have so much to offer. Where can people find you? Well, you know, I don't do a lot of social media just because of my my uh, previous backgrounds, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'd love to have people. I, I put a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. And uh, so they can find me, Lewis F. Kios. Last name is Q-U-I-J-A-S. Go to LinkedIn and uh, I, I'd love to put you on there. And also while you're on there, go to behindthebadge.org. It's at Soci uh, the group that uh, Betsy and I are involved in, uh, behind, uh, Citizens Behind the Badge. I'd love for you to participate. Uh, it's uh, Craig Floyd is the CEO of it. And many of you know him from the National Police Memorial. Uh, we really would uh, like you to take a look and uh, maybe you can help us out. And Betsy, I can't thank you enough for having me on. Chief, thanks so much for being with us. And if you'd like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.